Hello and welcome to the Strip Back the Pages Christmas Special. This week my guest Jess Haynes and I discuss that seasonal classic, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. We will also look at what Christmas was like back in Victorian England. Happy Christmas everyone! So are you prepared for the festivities? Have you got that last minute Christmas shopping? And most importantly, are you ready for Santa's arrival on Christmas Eve? When I was a child, Mum and Dad used to put out some homemade mince pies and a nice glass of Stone's ginger wine for Santa. And how about the reindeer, I hear you ask? Don't worry, they were taken care of. Are you aware that Rudolph is the youngest of Santa's nine reindeer and he uses his red luminous nose to guide Santa's sleigh on Christmas Eve? There is so much to go through with regards to Christmas and it's impossible to cover in one episode. So I'm sure over the next few years, as we have these Christmas specials, we'll find plenty to talk about. Today, it's that great Victorian classic, A Christmas Carol. The story of Ebenezer Scrooge, an elderly miser who is visited by the ghost of Jacob Marley, his former business partner, and the spirits of Christmas past, present and yet to come. Through their visits... The experience transforms Scrooge into a kinder, more generous and gentle man. If you've never read the book or seen the many screen adaptations, do it. You'll be pleased you did. Jess and I had so much fun recording this. We hope you enjoy it. Here it is. Hello Jess. Hello again. You're back. Yes, yes. Absolutely fantastic. So yes, welcome to the show. Brilliant to have you again. Now, listeners, the first thing I've got to tell you is we've got our wonderful fairy friends, but right in front of me, I don't know whether you'll pick it up on audio, is a beautiful open fire. So much like Christmas. Oh, yes. So let's begin. We are discussing life in Victorian times at Christmas and, of course, A Christmas Carol, which is our chosen book. Dickens was an interesting character. Okay. Well, he started life as slightly moneyed. Then he ended up in the poorhouse. Then he worked in a blacking factory. Then his parents came across some money, I think, by inheritance. Right. And he was rescued and sent back to school. But his experience in the blacking factory must have um, stuck, so right. to speak, mm -hmm. because he started writing about life in Victorian England. Mm. And even his some of his experiences and people who he met on his travels. Apparently he was a prolific traveller of the night. How do you mean traveller of the night? Basically, he would take a torch and wander the streets of London, visiting taverns, workhouses, just generally meeting the riffraff and the general population. Right. Mm. And... Some people took to him, some people didn't. 
and a lot of his writings were politically aimed. Right. I mean, like indeed the Christmas Carol. It was aimed squarely at factory owners. He was basically writing about what he imagined the factory owner of the blacking factory would be like. Mm. And, you know, trying to persuade him to change his ways. Yeah. Because as a label sticker, he earned pennies. And he said it was the world's most soul-destroying job. Every time he finished one box of bottles, it would be whisked out of the way and another one plonked in its place. And it never ended. So it's that that inspired the story then? Mm-hmm. Yes. Which I keep coming back to all the time. Something inspires the author. Yes. And clearly that was it. Because for those who don't know, a blacking factory is a factory that takes soot from chimneys, railway locomotives and any other source of ships and turns it into a whole myriad of products from fireplace colouring to boot polish to paint. Mm. And a lot of the chemicals were pretty horrendous and mixed in pretty medieval circumstances. Yeah. Interesting. I've got to ask you, Jess, are you a human <laughs> are you a human encyclopedia? Because honestly, the the knowledge you have is just <laughs> I'm my my answer to that is I'm nosy. <laughs> I've never come across it before. It is amazing, literally. I'm not just saying that. I I have worked in many, many different places. Um, if I went to a factory to deliver something whilst I was waiting to get loaded or unloaded, I would literally take the opportunity to ask questions. What's that doing? What's happening there? How's that made? Even delivering to building sites, there was a guy busy doing a chimney. And I said to him one day, you know, I was watching him and he's like, I says, how are you doing the lid on that? And he says, I'll show you. Yeah. And literally set to and showed me, you do it like this, you do it like this. And people are happy if you ask them, because Dickens would say to people, what are you doing? How are you doing it? So I think basically he had that nosiness that basically was a seeker of knowledge. That That's the top and bottom of it. Yeah. A lot of people just don't accept that this is how it's done and leave it at that. Yeah, so clearly you're very much the same then. And Yeah, yeah. I know you're busy, Jess. I've been just overloaded with, with, with this wonderful podcast takes so long. I love every minute of it. No regrets. No regrets at all. But it takes a long time. I'll be honest, I've done bits of research, but I haven't finished all of it yet. So shall we, yeah, Jess, shall we have a look online and find out a few more bits about our wonderful Charles Dickens? Mm, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. What would we do with that technology, eh? I know. I know it's terrible, isn't it, eh? Good old technology. Charles John Huffam Dickens, English writer and social critic. 
He created some of the best-known fictional characters and is regarded by many as an extremely good writer. So when when was he born? 1812. OK, and died? 1870. Relatively short life. Yeah. And notable works? Christmas Carol, Pickwick Papers. Now, that's interesting, Pickwick yeah. Papers. That, that That's kind of um, an interesting little series, that is. I mean, Great Expectations, Oliver Twist. Many of them have been turned into things other than just a straightforward book. Plays, films, everything you can think of. Yeah, I mean, Oliver Twist, you know, yeah. classic example. Great film. And even, unbelievably, and this is going to make you laugh, you're going to roll on the floor now. Go on. Guinea pig stories. Charles Dickens wrote guinea pig stories? No. Yeah, what? Give me a minute. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Jess is currently climbing up, literally, on a stool... <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Just been attacked by <laughs> Just been attacked by what? A load of books. Clint Eastwood. Just been attacked by a Clint Eastwood film. <laughs> I love it. Oh what are the Oh wow. Yeah. Oh wow, let's have a look. Right, I have here. In my hand, it's okay. It's 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 an oblong shape. I mean, it is. It's almost postcard shaped, isn't it? But yep, yep. Almost double the size. A typical postcard. Not far off the size. Yeah, in my hand, I've got a, a guinea pig Christmas Carol. Yep. A Bloomsbury guinea pig classic. Unbelievable. And then we've got Oliver Twist guinea pig. Night before Christmas guinea pig. Wow. So, yeah, the Dickens books, they're not just books for, you know, they've been adapted to everything. I mean, look at that, Oliver Twist. I mean, the artwork is superb. I mean, this is, please, sir, I want some more. Most famous thing in, you know. Yeah. See, now that's encouraging, isn't it? Because obviously when we did Sherlock Holmes, Elementary Dear Watson was in all the films, but never once in the book. It was mm-hmm. only just yep. elementary. With this, so what's the exact wording? Please, sir, I want some more. Yeah, exactly like the book. Now, on this Christmas Carol book that I'm looking at, when I open the cover, I've got some musical notes. Because as you know, music's sort of my thing. What's on yours? What's on your very first? Yeah, it looks like snow. But this is, I mean, talk about a surprise. Yeah. Um, so it's basically the the Christmas Carol story converted to the, the guinea pigs of the characters. Yes, yes. There's a few more of these books, but I haven't got the lot. And I'm at the very back. They actually tell you who the stars are, right. which is hilarious. Yeah. There you go. Look, the guinea pig classics: Romeo and Juliet, Oliver Twist, Pride and Prejudice, a guinea pig nativity. And then we've got the Nutcracker. Mm. So two of the six are literally Dickens novels. But that's amazing. Because before we started recording, you showed me, was it your mum's 
A Christmas Carol book? Yes. Yes. Was it 1944? 1944 printing of A Christmas Carol. I've got photos. I'll share them on Twitter. So how did that come about? Tell us what... During the war, printed material was very short supply. Mostly it was newspapers, but Mr Churchill was quite insistent that a quantity of books were printed. Right. And they literally had to choose which books to print. And I suppose, I mean, going for the classics would have been quite logical. But if you actually read the book I've shown you the picture of... Yeah. It's not quite true to the original because they have updated the language slightly for the times. And do you remember I said, take a picture of this? Mm. It's a turkey. Yes. Charles Dickens wouldn't have had a clue what a turkey was. This may be a stupid question. Why not? Turkeys didn't make it to the dining table until the 1920s. Right. Different Christmases would have had different feasts. Okay. Charles Dickens would have recognised a goose as his Christmas dinner. In times earlier, before geese were common, you'd have had a deer. Right. When would that have dated back to? 14th, 15th, 16th century. Right. You've heard of humble pie. Yep. Well, that's... The bits left over from a decent deer meal were called the umbles. (laughs) Yes, you're going to laugh again. <laughs> this is going to make a brilliant outtakes. So, in fact, next year I am going to do an outtakes episode. Definitely. Would you like to repeat that, please? After you'd finished butchering a deer, yeah, you were left with things like the heart, the lungs, liver, which were called the umbles, and basically it would be made into a pie with red wine, and you'd have umble pie, or later as it was called humble pie. Yeah. That's where that comes from. Right. I mean, everything comes from somewhere. Yes. Mm. So, I mean, what would you say was your your typical Victorian Christmas? I mean, last time we spoke, we started to talk about what would life be like in Victorian times. But I mean, Christmas, how would... So, for instance, would there have been more white Christmases? Or is that fiction? There was a series of white Christmases... It comes and goes. Sometimes you'll get a sit. I mean, there were frost fairs on the Thames, where literally the Thames froze solid enough, foot-thick ice, that you could walk on it, skate on it. They even had barbecues on it. Barbecues on it? Yes. I mean, think about it. You you light a fire on the ice, you know, cover the ice with um, timber. Yeah. And then light your coal fire on top of it. And basically you could cook... A pig like that before the fire sank into the water. Good grief. Amazing. I don't know what sort of temperatures it was freezing at, but literally foot plus thick ice. But the winters were probably a lot colder. Yeah. Because it was quite common in the winter. You would take a saw and cut foot cubes of ice and carry them to the ice house. Right. They're like a building, like a big pot buried in the ground with a domed roof. And you would have a ladder, a sectional ladder that went down inside. Yeah. And you would carry these huge blocks of ice down the hole, stack them at the bottom, fill the gaps up with crushed ice, 
and fill them right to the ceiling with chunks of ice out the river sawn into foot cubes. So most rivers must have frozen most years, otherwise there would be no ice for the G&T. So yes, yeah, so I guess therefore they must have had more... Frozen Christmases, if not white Christmases. Yeah. But we are at present going through a very warm spell. Yeah. Because in 1970, when I started school, the first year I walked to school, I literally waded through snowdrifts up to my waist. Right. So, yes, I was quite a small child, but, well, smallish, but, you know, 18-inch deep snow, and we were still expected to walk to school. And also, Miss Collins, who had a, I think it was a Heinkel bubble car. Right. It wasn't unheard of to have to literally push her car up the high street. The older kids did. I didn't. But the seven and eight-year-olds who went to the infant school would literally push her car up the high street through the ice and snow. (laughs) It It would never happen now, but she was... She had some kind of a problem. I can't remember what it was, but she was a little rotund and... um, was only allowed to eat certain foods. Right. I can't, I, I've no idea what was wrong with her, but she was very sweet and kind and taught everybody really well. But um, but that's what you remember, isn't it? This That, that niceness. Yeah. I mean, uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine that would be, you know, how it would have been in Dickens's time because, you know, if the Thames was frozen, it had to be cold. Yeah. Because you have to remember that the Thames is a little bit salty. And it would have made life really difficult because there was no gas, no central heating. One advantage they did have, a lot of the coal that was sold as house coal would light with the minimum of effort because it had a much higher tar content in it. So unlike the coal we have now, which takes a bit of a heat to get it going, yes, they could probably set it going with three or four sticks and a little tiny piece of paper. Yeah. And also they could burn much smaller fires. So when Scrooge and Tiny Tim in the Scrooge, he was burning a couple of chunks of coal. He probably was burning a couple of chunks because they would burn without the back heat of the extra chunks. It also led to some pretty nasty smogs. Again, smogs, you know, everyone knows there were smogs. Yeah. So what would you say a typical Christmas was? So we've established it's white. Yep. Because again, even the frost, the frost is white, isn't it? So there's Mm -hmm. your white Christmas element there as well. Food-wise, if you were very rich, you'd have something like partridge with your goose. Yeah. If you're middle class, you'd have goose. And if you were poor, you'd have a piece of pork. Okay. Well, pork was the universal go-to. Right. Even in the middle of London, in Westminster, they kept pigs. Pigs have relatively few taste buds and are not over fussy about what they eat. So you could literally chuck half rotten food, waste food, partially cooked stuff, and they would woof it down like, because they were probably hungry. Yeah. And pigs are also omnivores. So if you chopped a person up, they would quite happily devour them as well. Hannibal Lecter. Hmm. But essentially, 
many pigs would also be let loose in woodland to graze. Right. Yeah. Now, this might sound kind of weird, but if you look at some of the Victorian properties, when they're left for a, for a few years and not tended, the back gardens will sprout bracken or ferns. Oh, right. This is because the pigs that were killed in the backyard had been out in the forests or woodlands grazing. Right. They'd grub up the bracken and eat the roots. But the bracken, when it seeds, a percentage of the seeds fall straight down into the crown. Yeah. Thus, the they would go straight through the pig and be redistributed. Right. Mm. So, because pig intestines would also be used to make sausages. So the intestines would literally be washed out. So all the partially digested food and the seeds that had been ingested as well would be washed down the drain, which would usually just drain into the back garden somewhere. Right. Mm. And even in my back garden, there's a couple of ferns growing. <laughs> also, the way Christmas was celebrated was different. You would, you would not open the presents on Christmas Day. You would open them on Boxing Day. Okay, so there were no Christmas presents opened on Christmas Day at all? Unless they were labelled food. Oh, right. So what was your typical Christmas Day then for your typical family at that time? What, church in the morning? Church or? in the morning, come home, cook dinner, yeah. eat dinner, mm -hmm. back to the church, come home, have tea, go bed. Right. Entertainment-wise, what would you say was your entertainment? Most entertainment didn't happen till Boxing Day. Right, OK. Because literally most of Christmas Day was... I mean, you'd be spending six hours at the church. Yes. And so literally when you got back, it'd be... You know, you'd be up at six. You'd be at the church for eight. So, I mean, you hardly had time, you know, bit of bread, whatever you could add in the morning, probably eggs, bacon, whatever. Church bells would be going by quarter to eight. Eight o'clock, you'd be up the church. Eleven o'clock, you'd come home, you'd prepare your dinner. You know, your, your goose would be sat in a pan on top of the um, range. So sometimes you'd have to leave one person at home to you know, maintain the fire, check you know, the food was being cooked properly. And then basically by the time you'd got um, you know, the food down, yeah, four o'clock, back to the church. Seven o'clock, back home. Yeah. You know, you'd have more food, pork pie, whatever you'd stored. And essentially, you had precious little time before bedtime. And then most of what you ate on Boxing Day would be the leftovers. Yeah. Which is still what you do today. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then you'd, I mean, later on in the Victorian times, they'd play board games. Earlier on, they'd play stuff outside. I mean, you would... If if the river was frozen or the floods were frozen, you'd go skating mm. in the daylight. You know, make figures in the snow. I mean, some of them were quite good artists. Yeah. But uh, on the whole, you know, they could they could amuse themselves quite easily for the whole day mm. doing, you know, the various activities. Yeah. And the other thing that must be mentioned. Yeah. Christmas decorations were very different. Go on. Well, the Red Santa that we know wasn't around until, I think it was the late 1950s. Right. When Coca-Cola started advertising Coca-Cola for Christmas. 
and produced this jolly big fat man in a red and white suit and claimed he was Santa Claus and started, basically they would have people dressed up in red and white handing out bottles of Coca-Cola in promotional packs. Oh, right. And until then, Santa was basically, I mean, green was the norm, green yeah. and white. So Santa was actually dressed in green and white? Yes. Ah. And Coca-Cola, as a promotion, dressed Santa in red and white because their bottle labels were red and white Yeah, with black printing. Obviously, being American, the Americans took it on because Coca-Cola was, you know, it, everybody drank it. Yeah. And basically, over time, it has took over. Santa now is red and white. Mm. And we must add, for any children listening, very real. Possibly. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Because before the green and white Santa came along, there was yet another incarnation of um, there was like a, it was like a face of um, a person, but surrounded by wood, wood, leaves and twigs and. I think I've seen it. Yes, I'll try and find a um, picture. Let's okay. Find, try and find a picture. See if we can. Um... So again, if we find a picture, I'll also put that on Twitter. Yes. Hmm. So I'm guessing also, obviously, they sang Christmas carols. Although very important. Of course, church organ music was very big in those times, wasn't it? Well, the church organ was quite a modern to-do. Yeah. In fact... So, here you go. Old Man Tree. So originally it was called Old Man Tree, was it? Well, there was a whole... There was a vast number of different names... I mean, the wood spirits, and it depended very strongly on which religion, you know, you consulted. Yeah. And my computer's just stalled. Well, this is interesting, because I've, I've done exactly the same. I'm, I'm also on Google as we speak. So we're on the internet live. Well, pre-edit. Yeah. And it says here, Victorian novels featuring Christmas classical music. So, Tales of Christmas music from your favourite Victorian authors. Yeah, Christmas would not be as we know it without the Victorians. Christmas cards, Christmas crackers. Yeah. And Christmas presents are all Victorian traditions. See, I mean, here we've got a green man. Yeah. But at the end of the day, there's some debate about his exact name, but... Santa Claus, Father Christmas, St Nicholas. Yeah, there's so many different names and it's kind of interesting that the green man had a long beard and a yeah. long moustache mm. a bit like santa mm. well i've just done this bit of research online as we've been talking lincoln cathedral the willis organ it says here in 1826 william allen built a new organ on the choir screen in a case designed by the lincoln architect e.j wilson the Allen instrument proved insufficiently powerful for services in the nave, a problem which was apparently not remedied by the enlargement carried out by Allen's son Charles. Henry Willis designed a new organ in 1885, but building work could not be undertaken due to a lack of funds. Here's another one. Henry Willis again. So, it's a Paul's Cathedral. Henry Willis established himself with his organ for the Great Exhibition of 1851, so that's clearly Victorian. 
mm-hmm. carried out minor modifications in 1863, and then went on to build an essentially new instrument for the cathedral in 1872. So again, we don't want to bore anyone silly, but yeah, those big glorious organs that we have now were well and truly around in uh, Victorian times. Yeah, there were organs, but most of them were not terribly effective and a lot of places they would literally bring in musicians yeah and you would also have traveling minstrels i mean people would literally make a living out of going around and playing instruments singing dancing and generally you know telling the news So, on to the main story. We're talking about A Christmas Carol. Yep. Which, of course, is about our wonderful Ebenezer Scrooge. But we don't want to give too much away because, obviously, we want people to... We want you to read the book, enjoy the book. And if we just tell you the whole story, then it just gives the game away. But is there anything you want to recap, Jess, that you think people want to hear? I'm looking at it more for those that haven't read the book or seen the films. I'm assuming that many, many have. But for those that haven't... I think people need to understand the world that Dickens lived in. There were workhouses. So literally, if you were poor enough, you would be sent to basically like a a workplace. Yeah. Dickens's father was put in prison for debt. That was a crime. Right. And essentially, he either stayed there until he'd paid his debt off or until somebody paid his debt off. Mm. And basically, he was really, really lucky because some inheritance came along and he was able to buy himself out of prison. Right. And it must have been quite a substantial sum because Dickens was then brought back from the workhouse Um, I think they had to pay a couple of shillings to get him back because the blacking factory where he was working bought him by the day from the workhouse. You know, he wouldn't have had any say or choice about where he was going to work. Basically, the workhouse, the blacking factory would literally go round to the workhouse or somebody from the workhouse would go along and say, we've got X number of youngsters X number of this, X number of that, X number of old people. Do you want to hire any? Mm. And the blacking factory would say, yes, we'll have a kid to stick the labels on. We'll have a pensioner to stir the gloop at the back and we'll have somebody else to clean the mess up Mm. and we'll pay you this. And a deal would be done and Dickens would literally be given two meals and a bed for his labours. He wouldn't see any of the money that he earned. And that was the fate of many, many people. If you couldn't afford your own house, you would be in the workhouse. Not good. So where, where, where did the ideas, you think, come from of Christmas past, Christmas present, Christmas future in the story? I think Dickens, well, he had a fairly privileged beginning to life. So he was probably thinking to himself, you know, well, he spent Christmas Day sticking labels on at the blacking factory. Yeah. And it was, he was probably thinking to himself, God, this is miserable. You know, you've got to be careful not to make a mess of the labels. So you've got white labels in a really filthy old factory. And he's thinking to himself, 
two years ago, I was sat at home eating goose, opening, you know, looking at the presents I'd got. He may have even, if he'd have been really lucky, had an orange packed away, you know, to eat the next day. I mean, most of the fruit we know, oranges, lemons, bananas, unheard of. I mean, you've heard the story of the marmalade. Yes. A shipment of oranges arrived in Glasgow, allegedly, and nobody was in a rush to eat them because most people had never seen an orange. Yeah. Most people didn't know what to do with them. And in the end, they were allegedly turned into jam. Yes. But the lady who was making them into jam had never peeled fruit before making it into jam. Right. So she just sliced the whole orange up (laughs) and made it into jam. Brussels weren't just for Christmas. They were part and parcel of daily food. Mm. Parsnips, carrots, turnips... Cabbage. Cauliflower? Not entirely, no. Broccoli? Broccoli, yes. Cauliflower are, well, they were available but very expensive. Mm. About stuffing. I'd imagine they they did have stuffing balls. They did do stuffing, but not as we know it. Okay. Enlighten us. Well, it had minced meat in it. It had breadcrumbs, spices... It was, it's a, it was homemade. Mm. So, you literally had, yeah. You, know, you, you could you could you could put a bit of pork in it, a bit of fat in it, a bit of, you know, you put your sage, your onions. You'd put chi- you know, if you got chives, you chuck some of them in. If it was too cold, you'd skip the onion because it was frozen solid in the outbuilding. Yeah. Um, you'd put a bit of ham in it if you'd got some lurking around. Um. You know, it's like mincemeat. Yes. Mincemeat, as we know it, is all fruit and veg. Mincemeat, in Dickens's time, was minced meat. Right. That is literally... And it was made into little pies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as currants and things became available, they were added to bulk it up to make it cheaper. And as time has passed, mincemeat, the meat has disappeared from it all together because as time went by you know you could get things like candied peel which again dickens would have been like what's this yes yeah you know sugar was available but you know sweets would would have been around yeah some of the sweets i mean the sweets would have been quite different because the flavors were very in your face mm because obviously they hadn't got you know acidity regulators and all the things that we put into food now. Yeah. So you know if it, I mean they used um, essence of rose in right. sweets, and if you've ever come across essence of rose, it's it'll blow the top off your head. It really mm. will. Mm. Too much of that and um, you're airborne. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, what we've done today is given you, our dear listeners, a very small little teaser into A Christmas Carol and what life was like in Victorian England at Christmas. We haven't even scratched the surface, but again, if you haven't read it, I really encourage you to get the book. I'll put a few details in the show notes. So, we're about out of time, Jess. 
Indeed, indeed. Something I have to do. Obviously, I want to wish you a happy Christmas. Have a great Christmas. Brilliant year next year. And wish all the listeners a happy Christmas. Absolutely, yes. Happy Christmas to all of you. I have a feeling we're going to be having Jess back on the show again. Am I right? You probably are right. Fantastic. Honestly, it's been brilliant having you. Thank you so much. And um, see you soon. Yes, and there's so much more Dickens to talk about yet. There's a lot to talk about. So, bye for now, folks. Hope you've all enjoyed it. Goodbye for now. So there it is. As you've heard throughout the show, I did promise to give my theme tune and incidental music that Christmas treatment. I really hope it helps you gear up for the festivities. There's nothing quite like a bit of Christmas cheer, is there? As always, if you wish to contact me, I'd love to hear from you. I can be emailed at stripbackthepages at gmail.com or you can find me on Twitter at stripbackpages. I'm now taking a two-week break and will be back on January the 11th. May I again wish you a very Merry Christmas and a happy and prosperous New Year. So, for the last time in 2022, thank you for listening. This is your host, NJ, wishing you happy holidays and signing off. 